0: When Matt was five, he really liked Oscar the Grouch. So, he wrote him a letter.
1: Dear Oscar the Grouch. (laughs) Now I want you to come visit me at my house, Oscar. Now I have to give you this letter, because I like you. Because you are my friend. Oscar, my name is Matthew. And I am a Grouch. (laughs)
0: That's Matt reading a letter he wrote when he was five. And this, well, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. On this show, we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the London Music Club in London, Ontario, we have angsty breakup poetry, an interview with a dirty old man, and World War III at Santa's house. This stuff is weird. It is wonderful. And it's a great way to explore not only who we used to be, but who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. A minute ago, we heard from Matt, who confided in Oscar the Grouch that he too was a grouch. And that letter was not the only thing Matt brought to our London show. He also read a few other selections, including a short piece he wrote in 1973 or 74. Now, in order to understand this, you need to know that Matt has a younger brother named Nicholas, and you also need to know that Matt did not write this because he wanted to. He wrote it because his mom made him. It was punishment. (laughs) I will not attack Nicholas. I will not attack Nicholas. I will not attack Nicholas.
1: I will not attack Nicholas. 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 Nicholas, I will not attack Nicholas. 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 (laughs) Summer, summer 1976. I'm 11 years old and I have been sent from our home in Boston to YMCA camp in New Hampshire, probably because of what's going on with me and Nicholas. (laughs) Dear Mom, I'm having a great time. Last night we had CCC. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Dear Mom, please come on visiting day. I have to talk to you. This is my motto. I've drawn an arrow pointing to the camp letterhead, which reads, God first, the other fellow second, myself last. (laughs) See you on Parents' Day (laughs) Dear Mom Camp is not great I'm sorry I said that But alas, it's true I'm very serious Do not let anyone know about this letter Love, Matt Letter number five did not begin, dear Mom and I had modified the camp motto to read simply, Myself Always Last.
2: <laughs>
1: this camp is so sick, it's driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Hate Matt. <laughs> P.S. Help! (laughs) On the last of these letters, I scrawled airmail in big penciled letters. It reads, Dear Mom, everybody says I am gross. I had to go to the doctor because I have loads of nightmares and dizzy spells and other stuff. I miss you and the kids, my siblings, so much I'm crying. I want to go home. Please come and take me home. I'm feeling terrible and it's raining. Please come and take me home, please. Your son that misses and loves you, Matt.
0: Our next reader, Caitlin, brought along two poems she wrote when she was 17. She wrote the first one when she was dating her very first boyfriend, and she wrote the second one just after they broke up. Now, a quick heads up, Caitlin's poems do include some cuss words, which we do not bleep, they also acknowledge the existence of sex. Okay, live on stage in London, reading before and after breakup poetry, here's Caitlin.
3: So the first poem is called The 11 P.M. Rush. He kisses her downstairs away from prying eyes. (laughs) She touches him and longs for his warmth. Their eyes meet. She blushes at the thought of staring straight into his soul. He keeps her there to pluck at her heartstrings. They lay together on the broken-down paisley couch, hand in hand, chest to chest, lips to lips. (laughs) What feels like five minutes is five hours of love. Slowly but surely, (laughs) their clothing is thrown for the floor to wear instead. (laughs) Sweaty palms, heaving chests, shortness of breath, darting vision, dry mouth. <laughs> An epiphany, euphoria, utopia, paradise. <laughs> Garden of earthly delights. <laughs> Call it what you will, it's just what it is, passion at its finest. <laughs> That first kiss is nothing, they call it the best, but what is better than the embrace they share and the visions they have and they way they can still surprise each other. They will not be there forever, soon the sun will set on their life, but both will always remember the first time they ever sat on that broken down paisley couch. <laughs> So the second poem is called, That Was All a Lie. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is all a lie. This is not the truth. How can someone feel this way after three months? Three months of lies. (laughs) We didn't love each other. We never cared to have common interests or show our love to the world. The only thing we had was a physical attraction, which I thought was real, could keep us together. But if we just tried... But you know what? It sucked. (laughs) You couldn't give me heat. You came, I saw. You groaned, I clawed. You shattered, I felt numb. (laughs) I faked it for you, so you felt good. you felt like a man. (laughs) But how the fuck do you expect to get it without getting it in return? That broken down paisley couch was a stitch away from being dead. (laughs) That night we watched Pokemon and you expected head? (laughs) I said, no, you said fine. That was it, just that line. It was the end, nothing more. After that, you avoided me as if I had the plague. Well, I did. A a plague of paranoia, a disease of hurt and need, a slight wrenching euphoria of want and pain and red. Fuck you, fuck it all. (laughs)
0: One more time for Caitlin, ladies and gentlemen. In 1979, our next reader, Rebecca, was 16. And for school, she had to do a project on senior citizens and senility.
2: So I thought, who better to tell me about senility but an old person? And I didn't have a lot of uh, grandparents that lived close to me at the time, so I had to go and find a random senior citizen.
0: (laughs) The random senior citizen Rebecca interviewed for her project was a man she met at the Ottawa Civic Hospital. And as Rebecca wrote in her report,
2: I never did get the man's correct name, but he was known by his friends and staff as the Colonel. He, he is 83 years old, and he is a war amputee. And at most times, he is senile. By this, I mean that 80% of the time, he really doesn't know what is going on or where he is. But the other 20% of the time, he seems perfectly normal. So, the interview starts, R, that's me, Rebecca, R. Hi, Colonel, how are ya today? (laughs) C for Colonel, well, hi yourself. I'm hungry, actually, they haven't fed me yet, and it's (laughs) 12.05. Surely to God they haven't forgotten me. A few minutes later, his lunch arrived. R. So, did you have fun last night? And then I have in brackets, every Friday night, Jake the night elevator operator brings the colonel a six-pack of beer, and they split it, and they talk. (laughs) C. Well, I suppose old Jake was a bit late last night. I had to sit and wait for him and watch the young nurses walk by. (laughs) You know, the young girls today don't have legs like they used to. (laughs) (laughs) Ha-ha. Back in my time, you could marry a girl just because of her legs. (laughs) (laughs) Ha-ha. Not now, no sir. (laughs) Heh-heh. And then, and then my teacher writes in red pen, "Hooray, a dirty old man!" (laughs) Back to the interview. R, how old are you? C, I'm 83. How old are you? R, ha ha, I'm 16. (laughs) C. Too bad. You're out of luck. I was looking for someone a little older. They're either too old and can't hear you, or they're too young and they don't want to listen to you. Ha ha. (laughs) And then we go on laughing, laughing, laughing. And I say, it sounds like you really enjoy it here. And then he says, well, I'll tell you, I've been here for three years, and I haven't had a boring minute, ha ha. But maybe that's because I keep them hopping. Sometimes I get kind of lonely, so I just come down here, and then I put in brackets to the ICU waiting room, and I have a smoke, and I talk to whoever's here. And then I ask him a very poignant question for my 16 years, I say, are you happy? And he says, yeah, I guess I am, ha ha but don't tell the nurses.
0: (laughs) Rebecca, ladies and gentlemen. Today, Rebecca is a social worker. She works with seniors. When Elise was 10, one of the local radio stations held a Mother's Day contest. And the prize was a day at the spa. In order to win, all you had to do was write a letter making the case for your own mom. So Elise did exactly that.
4: I would like my mom to win a day at the spa for many reasons. First, we live on a farm and you can just imagine all the chores she has to do in just one day and also cleaning up (laughs) you-know-what. Also, I would like to tell you about why my mom is the best mom in the whole wide world. Because even though she has so much work to do on the farm, she still finds the time to spend with me and the rest of the family. I would now like to thank you for taking the time to read this letter. From Elise Reed, my mom's name, Deb Reed, my phone number, and my address. And just to, you know, really help my submission, I included a, a drawing with the title before a day at the spa. (laughs) And I have her uh, drawn here, looking very disheveled, holding a broom. And I've included stink rays coming out of her. And on either side of my mother, I've included uh, a drawing of two men, but both with speech bubbles. The The first man says, Psst, you stink lady. The second man says, What reeks? (laughs) The second drawing is uh, my mother after going to the spa, where she looks quite elegant and lovely in an evening gown. I've also included the two men flanking each side of her. The first man now says, Back off, I saw her first. (laughs) And the second man says, So, uh, You know, are you busy tonight?
0: (laughs) Quick bit of follow-up. Elisa's dad was in charge of mailing her entry to the radio station, but apparently he did not do that, which is kind of a bummer because it means Elisa's mom did not win the day at the spa, but it's also kind of great because it means... Elise still has the letter. And if you want to see the drawing that accompanied that entry, Elise scanned it in. We have a link in the show notes to this episode. It is pretty great. Stink lines and all. When our next reader, Jess, was a teenager, she was, in her own words, boy crazy. But, as you will hear from her diary entries, she didn't always know what to do with those boy crazy feelings. Please welcome Jess to our stage.
5: Today, Chris Gunderson asked me to go to the dance with him. I said, I don't know, but I really wanted to go with him, so I should have said yes. He is cute. Crossed out. He is nice. I sit beside him at school, yes. The Halloween dance is on Friday, two more days. I can hardly wait. I'm being a French maid for Halloween. <laughs> Next century. I am totally over Chris and I met this guy, Pierre Paul, who is 15. He is so cute and hot and nice. He lives in Quebec, which is a little bit of a problem because I will probably never see him again. <laughs> Okay, so the next one, we're just moving on to high school. And this entry, I was almost 16 years old here. Another thing that sucks about almost being sweet 16. I'm flat. Great. No boys like me at school or anywhere. They never talk to me. I know I'm ugly and flat and everything, but still. The boys talk to like all the other girls except me. Plus, lately everyone seems to have a girlfriend or boyfriend. It sucks being single. I've never been asked out except for at camp to the banquet, which isn't even a real date. (laughs) If my friends actually knew I've never been asked out, they would make so much fun of me. I wish I was beautiful, but at least if a guy ever did ask me out, it would be for personality, not looks. (laughs) That's one good thing about being ugly. It's the only thing. Well, when life upsets me, I can always turn to my Archie
6: comics.
5: (laughs) They're my escape from reality, where the cute guy really does ask you to the big dance on Saturday night. (laughs) I wish I could be in an Archie comic and live their lives. That is my dream. (laughs) Well, I have to get back to reality now. Love, Jess. What strikes me about those entries is how boy-crazy I was at the time. I was so obsessed with trying to get a boyfriend and just receive validation from the opposite sex. And it's crazy how self-absorbed we can be in high school. I totally do remember feeling ugly and thinking no boys liked me, almost like it was yesterday, even though it was over 10 years ago now. I think when you're 15, everyone thinks those things to a certain extent. It's a really strong feeling, and it's something you don't forget. I think if I can go back and tell my teenage self something, I would say, have a little confidence and trust that people will like you for who you are.
0: In the early 90s, Canada joined a coalition of forces fighting in the first Gulf War. I was in elementary school at the time, and I remember sort of understanding what the war was about, but not really. I knew it had something to do with Kuwait, and I remember seeing oil wells on fire on television. I certainly know I was afraid of Saddam Hussein, but my knowledge and my feelings about the war... We're kind of tangled up in all of the other things that you tend to go through when you're in elementary school. It's all a bit of a mishmash. And the same thing is true for our next reader, Oliver. At our London show, Oliver read a few pieces, two short stories written when he was nine and an opinion piece written when he was 10. And I think all three of them are really good examples of what it's like to be a kid trying to wrap your head around war. First up, here's Oliver reading a short story entitled...
6: World War III at Santa's. (laughs) One day, Santa was working in his workshop when heard telephone ring. He picked it up. It was Saddam Hussein. He said that he's coming with his Air Force, Navy, and the Army. The next, Santa said, I've got some rifles in my backyard... (laughs) 50 caliber, the elves went to the backyard and got the rifles. Robbie, Carter, Tiny Don, and Lolo were, <laughs> were the leaders. Saddam came, and the elves attacked. They fought for an hour. Then Big Fisher Price came with his bazooka, and he said, eat my missiles. He blew Saddam right back to Iraq, Saddam landed right back on his couch in his house. On their TV was Big Fisher-Price celebrating. From then on, he never went to Canada again. (laughs) Um, This story, which was written uh, six months later in June of 1993, is something of a spiritual successor to it. It's called My Perfect Summer Holiday Not. (laughs) For my summer vacation, we went to Iraq. (laughs) Wow, our hotel was in an underground bomb shelter. We stayed there a couple of days. When we got out, Saddam Hussein got us and put us in solitary for a few weeks. When we got out, he taught us how to ride a tank. Finally, we got out of Iraq. We decided to go to Bosnia. It was even better. There were just a little bit more fighting. Oh, by the way, us is me and Andrew, uh, a friend of mine. And uh, from one year later when I was 10, this is uh, something called My Opinion on World War II. World War II was senseless because all it was killing people for land and their religion. In my point of view, I think Hitler was the cause of the war. He he was a harsh man. And and I'm glad I never met him. (laughs) The the whole war was stupid and dumb. I hate all wars, and I never want to be in one. Thanks.
0: (laughs) Now with such a firm grasp on global affairs you might wonder what does Oliver do with his life these days Tomorrow Oliver is submitting his PhD in history Our next reader, Corey, read a few entries from something called a devotional diary. The diary itself was a confirmation gift from her aunt and uncle when she was 15. And basically, it's a regular diary. But on each page, there are these writing prompts. And they ask you to reflect on your self-image or your relationship with God, that kind of thing. But rather than using these prompts to focus on spiritual matters, Corey used her devotional diary to vent about a breakup quick heads up some of these entries include cuss words which we do not bleep okay here's cory reading her response to the first prompt
7: puppy love and real love so it asks you all these questions and you're supposed to kind of talk about it I thought I loved Greg Hanley, but I now realize I don't know what love is. We were a good couple. We were holding hands and kissing, and I thought we would always be together. But we aren't now. We lasted for four days short of one month. He went to Boston, and now he likes another girl. I can't handle it i just keep breaking down no god there is no god why does everything bad happen to me i want to die but more than that i want greg back i just want to be loved by greg i don't want anyone else the next one starts with prayers and promises dear god you know i have faith in you right Then why are my pleas never fully answered? Please, please. I wish that Greg Hanley still loved me and he would ask me out again and he wouldn't go out with Barbara Kelsey, Valerie Barkey, Melanie Anderson, and Crystal Denham, or anyone but me. Please answer my prayers, please. This is all I'm asking for, please. Yeah, being and believing. I believe nothing about God. He is not real, he is a fake God. God is a fucking understatement. It is a figment of the goddamned imagination that people believe in because they have nothing else and they can't get a hold on their lives. If God were real, then everything in my fucking hole of a life would not be going wrong. I would have Greg as a boyfriend and my teeth would be fixed. God is fake. Um, acceptance and forgiveness. I find it hard to forgive myself for my often interesting behavior towards others. Sometimes I can forgive myself when I know it's not totally my fault. And I think I have forgiven myself for my scene with Greg when we broke up. But I cannot forgive myself for being ugly. I cannot accept it. And I try to forgive mom and dad on numerous occasions. (laughs) But each time it is very hard for me. (laughs) Doubts and questions. Dear God, if there even is one. (laughs) If you really exist, why do you make my life so horrible? Why did Greg do this to me? Why doesn't he like me? I also doubt that if God exists, no one's life could be nearly as miserable as mine. I wouldn't still love Greg. I would have Greg. I can't understand why any superior being would do this to one girl giving so much grief at such a young age. If there was a God, I would have Greg Hanley back. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to skip over sadness. Anger. Um, anger asked you to tell a story about Jessica and Jerry because they were good friends until one got angry. Fuck Jessica and Jerry. Here's their story. They were going out until Jerry went away for four days in Boston and screwed around with another girl. Jessica was angry, hurt, and depressed. Now substitute me for Jessica and Greg for Jerry. <laughs> Everything is unfair to me. And then under love, it just says no. <laughs>
0: Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That is Grown-Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the London Music Club in London, Ontario, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and tone This is the 25th episode of our second season. And if you like this one, there's a lot more to listen to in the archives. You can find every episode at our website, grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com, or you can get the entire back catalog from iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Also, we are working on a bunch of live events for early 2016, so if you want to know when and where... Join the email newsletter. It is the first place we announce new live shows. You can sign up at Grown Up Street, or even easier, follow the link in the show notes to this episode. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.